You can be seated. Thank you, Nadia and the band. Appreciate you guys, the way you lead us every single week. It's truly a blessing to have a band like this lead us to the truth of God and remind us as we go through our week, go through our days, that these are the truths that we need to cling to. These are the truths that we need to uh, hang our hat on, if you will. And so, hey, we're in week two of a series that we started last week called Life Together. And it's all about this idea that we can't do life alone, like Nadia was saying, that people need people. And so if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to check it out on the podcast. It's up. It's ready. And, and we're going to make an effort to every Wednesday to have that message from the Tuesday uh, up on podcast so that you can begin to share that with friends and family and so on and so forth. Well, in 2000, the year 2000, right, uh, I was in high school at the time and I got my very first car. Like I saved up enough money, $1,500, Honda Accord, two-door with the sunroof. I thought I was balling. I thought I was just balling out of control. I just enjoyed it. I mean, I, I worked for it, so it even, it was that much sweeter and and uh, I was working at a grocery store. Anybody work at a grocery store? Yeah, maybe a couple hands. Okay. Working at a grocery store at the time. Uh, there was the Kroger in, in Fort Worth, Texas that I was working at. And, man, I was sacking groceries. I was checking out groceries and doing a little bit of both. And I was making five forty an hour. Can you believe that? Like five forty. Man, you're like, how did you even survive? Well, Things were a little cheaper back in 2000. Gas was only about a buck 25 uh, a gallon. And so, man, but, but the reality was is, man, it was still tight. Like my finances were still tight. I always hit a ceiling in, in, in being able to pay my car insurance and gas. And, and so I was crunching the numbers. I was trying to figure out where I could save. I was trying to figure out what I could do. And this is I mean, let me throw this out as a disclaimer. This was pre-Christ. This was before my heart was, was, was running after him. And so uh, I thought, man, I, I'm going to do something bold. Like I'm going to do something crazy out of the box. And so I was thinking, man, where can I save money? I think I can save money by not paying for gas. Like that's going to be a brilliant idea. And so, man, I conned this. Like I had this idea in my mind. Like, man, I was going to pull up to the gas station and I was going to get on the fringe of the gas station, the outside pumps. And, and man, I was even going to take out a card, a, a lookalike credit card, a.k.a. my driver's license. And, man, I was going to swipe it so if there was cameras, they would see that, hey, at least I swiped something and rather than nothing at all. And this was, this was me, man. Like I made this decision. It was a terrible decision. Like, it was terrible on all levels. And so I did this time and time again for months because I, I was doing the math. I was like, $5.40 an hour, it cost about $15 plus to fill my car. I mean, that's like three hours plus of just giving my money away for gas. Like, I can do something. I'm going to steal gas. Yeah, that's a bright idea, right? So, man, I was jumping from one gas station to the next, and you're probably thinking, dude, you're an idiot. Well, you're right. I was an idiot, man. Like, I didn't have anybody uh, to help me inform that decision. I just made that on my own, and, man, I would jump from one gas station to the next just ripping gas stations off left and right, stealing gas. And you're like, well, how did you not get caught? I don't know how I didn't get caught, but I didn't. And by God's grace, like, man, he, all I can say is even when I was sinning, God was still faithful. And so I share that with you tonight. You're like, why do you even, why do you even go down there? Why are you even opening the message up with that story? Well, to show you some of my depravity of my heart, right? But second, I share that with you tonight because we have all 
made decisions based on how we have felt and what we think is right. And we have all made decisions in the heat of the moment where they have been terrible life decisions based on emotions and feelings rather than based on what really is. And sometimes it can be hard in the moment to see how stupid of a decision that is. Like, man, you're talking getting fined by the thousands You're talking jail time if I got caught, right? And so, yeah, like that's a crazy decision. But we have all made decisions because you're excited and passionate in the moment. But looking back, if we were told by someone else, it would have been very clear that that was a really bad decision. Like we have all friends, we have friends that come up to them and say like, hey, yeah, Bob and I are getting married. And you're like, what? Like you just met each other last week. Plus he, you're, he's 57 and you're 25. Like that makes no sense. That's a terrible decision. But in the moment we don't really say anything. Why? Because we don't want to hurt their feelings, right? Or man, you, you have someone come in uh, and say, man, I just bought a brand new car. And you're like, bro, you don't even have a job. How did you even get approved for a, for a car? Well, uh, 0% financing, it was the best deal. And you're like, man, that's a terrible decision. Yeah, you might have been able to put 5000 down, but how are you going to pay for the rest? Well, I don't have to pay for six months. Dude, that's a terrible decision. Like we would all know of people that have made these terrible decisions. But in hindsight, if they were to lean into people that they could have bounced those decisions off of, Maybe those people could have seen something that they didn't see. See, here's the reality tonight. There's things in my life that you can see that I cannot see. Like you can see uh, if I was to share some of the decisions that I made, even this past week, you'd be like, bro, you saying that or doing that thing, man, that was not going to end well for you. And you're right, it didn't end well for me. And vice versa. There's things that I can see in your life that you can't see and others can see in your life that you can't see. And we ask the question, why in the world would you ever do that? Because when you're in the moment, personally, it is foggy and so difficult to see. But when you bring that into the light and allow that to be exposed to a group of people who absolutely love you and love Jesus and filter decisions based according to this word, the Bible, it will end well for you, Scripture says. And for the rest of your life, and especially in this season right now, you're going to make huge decisions. And it might not be stealing gas from a gas station (laughs) that won't end well for you or, um, you know, won't won't end your life. Yeah, you might get a fine or you might get taken to jail. But you're going to make decisions in this season and for the rest of your life that will haunt you and won't end well for you ultimately if you don't know how to filter those decisions and base those decisions on what is truth and they will cost you and we can't see it now and no matter how hard we push this message tonight some of you will walk out of here and make your decisions based on your feelings based on your emotions and based on what you think is right and I'm telling you God's word is telling you that you're going to walk away from the faith as we look into this passage of scripture tonight some of you will even walk away from your faith because as you continue to live in those decisions that you made 
not informing them through the lens of Scripture, the Bible says your heart will be hardened and you will be deceived and duped. Therefore, walking away from your faith, but it doesn't have to be that way and it can be presented, prevented, I should say, rather. So tonight, man, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 specifically. And let me kind of set this up for you tonight. Hebrews chapter 3 is towards the end of the Bible. So go to Revelation, go back a few first Johns, and then, you know, you're going to see James, and then you're going to be, just going to be right around that area. And so open their Bible, maybe you have a tablet, feel free to use that. It's going to be up on the screen if you have neither. But we're going to be in this chapter 3 of Hebrews. And well, let, me, let me kind of share the context building uh, for, for this chapter. There's this group of people that are God's chosen people called the Jews. And, and the author of Hebrews, many would say that it's the Apostle Paul, he's writing this book to God's chosen people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they had just accepted him, they have just received salvation, and we'll get into that tonight, but they had just received salvation, and now Paul is outlining, hey, this is what you need to remember, this is what you need to, to follow if it's going to end well for you as a believer of Jesus Christ. And so he's about to set this up and he's going to remind them of a story that the entire Jewish people would be very familiar with. It's the story of their ancestors. It would be like you sitting before um, maybe a grandparent and they're telling you from tens or 20, 30 years ago of what took place to remind you not to go there. Kind of like this uh, living and learning. Hey, let me share some life experience with you so you can learn from that. And so the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 3 is reminding the people of a specific story where it, it, it shared about how God's people rebelled against him and they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And so let's pick it up in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, paradigm, if you will hear his voice, whose voice? God's voice. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. So he's reminding them of the story of their ancestors where they were in the desert for 40 years wandering because they strayed away from God, it says. They always go astray in their heart. They do what feels right to man or they do what feels right to woman. And they had not known my ways, verse 11. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. He says these people will not have rest because they strayed away. And so first spiritual truth of the night, if you're taking notes on your worship program, the first spiritual truth I have for you is this. Do not harden your heart. Like what is he talking about here? Do not harden your heart. He is talking about this era called the rebellion. And if you were a Jewish person growing up, you would have known specifically about what he was referring to, the rebellion. It's the famous incident. Many of you know this story. God's people, the Jews, have been enslaved in Egypt. And so Moses comes and starts, you know, dealing, willing and dealing with who? Pharaoh, who's enslaving God's people, the Israelites. And he says, hey, man, if you don't free my people, then I'm going to plague you with all these different plagues. 
And finally, Pharaoh relented. And he said, okay, you can take your people and you can now be a people and you can just get out of here. As long as these plagues leave, as long as they subside, you can take your people and you can have your people. And so he releases the Jewish people. And so they go into the wilderness and they're traveling through the wilderness. And God is saying, hey, I want to... uh, Own up to my promise. The promise is, hey, I want to take you into the promised land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's an incredible place. It has everything that you need, everything that you've ever wanted. And so he says, hey, go into the promised land. Go, go, go. And the people get get to the edge of the promised land. And they are seen by a great mass of people who seem very intimidated. They say that these people are tall and they're big and they're giants compared to the the Jewish people. And the Jewish people cower cower down. And they don't step across the promised land. They come back to Moses and like, Moses, we can't do this, man. These people are too big. They're too much. I didn't know that there was even going to be people in this land. And Moses is like, hey, God has promised you this land. He will be faithful. And here's the problem. They forgot what God had just done. God had parted the Red Sea, allowed the Jewish people to walk through the Red Sea to get to the other side, to get to the promised land. And when the Egyptians traveled after them to bring them back into captivity. God closed the sea and he revealed his faithfulness that he was going to fight for them. But the people of Israel forgot the work of God in their life. And so they cowered down and they turned far from God. And they began to do what was right in their eyes. And they continued to wander around in a circle for 40 years. And God was saying, man, I'll deliver you, but you have to trust me. You have to trust me. Like, I'm going to be faithful, but you have to follow me in this unknown territory. And if you trust me, I'm going to bring you to victory. But they wouldn't trust God. I wonder how many of us in this place have come to an unknown place in our life. Maybe that unknown place is a tragedy and you can't trust God through it. Maybe that unknown place is a a dead-end job, and you can't trust God through it. Maybe that unknown place is a a broken relationship. Man, you just thought you were going to marry that perfect prince, but it didn't end well. And you can't trust God in the unknown. And these were the people of God. They wouldn't trust him with the unknown, so they never saw God deliver them into the promised land. They rebelled. They turned to their own ways. And what happened? The older generation died off. The fathers and the mothers died off. And what happened? The younger generation were raised up. And God says, okay, now I'm going to take you into the promised land. And they finally experienced that. But the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 3 is reminding the Jewish people who had just come to Christ, hey, this is what I want you to know. Do not rebel against God. No matter what the unknown is in your life, do not rebel like your ancestors did. Do not harden your heart. Has your heart hardened itself to God? My heart hardened itself to God when I was going into sixth grade and my parents divorced. My heart hardened itself to God. My roommate from college died in a tragic plane accident 30 miles south of Casper, Wyoming. 
my heart hardened itself to God when I thought the woman that I was going to marry ended up being the woman that was not the one I was going to marry. <laughs> and so I can remember these moments where my heart hardened itself to God. But in those moments, God gave me something called community to remind me of who God was so that I wouldn't be duped into sin, thinking that there was life there apart from God. And they reminded me of the truth about who he was and my perspective, if I can use this word, my paradigm shifted and God began to reveal himself in those moments. I'm telling you right now, paradigm, he is faithful. And he wants to reveal to you in the moments where your heart hardens itself against God, he wants to reveal himself. And he will do it by what we see in verse 12. Follow along. Beware, brethren. So he transitions from the story of their ancestors to now, um, man, hey, this is the remedy. This is the remedy so your heart doesn't rebel against God. Hey, don't be like those who have rebelled. And this is how it relates to you and me. So he says, beware, beware, brethren. Or maybe some of your translations say, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The translation up on the screen tonight is, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, what happens in those moments where your heart begins to harden itself against God, you can no longer believe. You can no longer have the perspective that God wants to give you in those moments. And that perspective can change from fear to faith, from worry to worship, if you allow God to reveal that perspective. And so he says, hey, see to it, brothers, that none of you has this sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Spiritual truth number two, if you're taking notes, guard your heart. Guard your heart, not just... Do not harden your heart, but now he turns it and says, hey, I want you to guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, and we say this all the time here at Paradigm because it's one of the most important things that you can ever do as a young adult. I can ever do as even a, a pastor. Above all else, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What does this mean? For out of your heart springs the issues of life. Everything else in your life comes out of your heart's desires. Did you know that? everything. It's the control center of your body. That which your heart seeks, your body follows. Your life follows. Want to know what a person believes? Just watch the way they live their life. Men and women will always say what they think, but they will always do what they believe. Just watch their life. You want to know what's in someone's heart? Watch their life. If something in our life is broken and it's not right, it's because our hearts aren't right. And this is reality. The reason why the world is broken and sinful, I can't say this enough, is because we live in a jacked up, broken world. That brokenness is defined as sin in Scripture. And Jesus came to do something, to be the solution for that brokenness and sin. 
He said, hey, someone has to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. Because I love you and I'm pursuing you, I'm going to be that sacrifice that you were supposed to pay for your sin. Maybe that's the only message you need to hear tonight, is the message of the gospel. He loves you, man, more than any man or woman could. So much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty in full by dying on the cross. There was no other way for your debt to be paid, man, other than Jesus dying for it. Have you received that tonight? Or has your heart hardened itself to God? And for those that have believed in that message, it says that you become a new creation. And when I know about new creations, what I know about my life 10 years ago in college, I know that something in me changed. My heart changed, and therefore my desires started to change. No, not overnight, but one of the things that God used to spur me, to challenge me, to encourage me, was a group of men who became my community. And this group of men began to stir me during those moments where my heart wanted to get hard. And some of you need to know this, man. If Jesus didn't die for all of your sin, then he died for none of your sin. Because I know that there's some people here tonight that says, no, 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 there's no way that Jesus can forgive me of that thing. And I'm saying, no, 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 yes, he can. (laughs) Man, if you would just, if I could just put all my sins on the screen, even after Christ, you'd be like, man, you are disqualified from preaching this message. God is faithful. And he wants to meet you right where you are, and he wants to qualify you. You think you can be qualified by another man or another woman or a job or success or some possession? And he's saying, no, no, no. The only way that you can be qualified is what my son Jesus has done for you on the cross. So guard your heart, man. Guard your heart. How? But what the scripture says in Proverbs 4, by guarding it with all diligence, that you would work at this thing, man, that you would guard your heart, that it would be something that you would continually evaluate, that there would be this inventory of what you're allowing to take place in your heart because what you feed your heart with is what your heart will desire. And that just... And that just, just as the hearts of the nation of Israel turned away from God, see to it, he's saying, that this doesn't happen to you. See to it, paradigm, that this doesn't happen to you. And he says, the way that this isn't going to happen to you, here's what's interesting. Before we even get to that point, here's what's interesting. He says, it's possible that sin in your life, if left unchecked, if left undealt with, if there's sin in your life that you have not dealt with, it's saying that it will harden your heart and it will deceive you. You will be duped, man, in thinking that there's life there. And for some of you, man, it will be too late because your heart will be so hardened against God that you can't even begin to see him. Scripture says that he turns you over to a reprobate mind, Romans 1. So it says you want to be careful that you don't fall 
into which your ancestors fell in, into the rebellion era. A sin and evil that turns your heart away from God. But there's a solution for it. Let's keep reading verse 13. He says, but, in other words, hey, there's something good that's about to follow. He says, exhort one another daily. And so we just need to unpack this word exhort, or maybe your translation says encourage, because this is a little insufficient, I believe, for a translation. Because this word exhort or encourage is parakaleo. It's from the Greek where we get this word parakaleo. It means, hey, not just this idea where you would just encourage one another. You would gather together and, and, and Johnny comes in or Billy comes in. And he's like, man, I'm struggling with sin. And you're just like, hey, man, thanks so much for sharing that you're struggling with pornography. But, hey, man, Johnny, you're still awesome, buddy. So keep going. And you give a little pat on the back or a little slap on the butt if you, you know, in, in, the, in the sports, you know, world. Or, or, or you're just like maybe write him a, a, a nice little text or write her a text. You girls do that. We guys text. Or, or, or note, girls, notes, we text as guys, right? And so that's not what he's saying. This word parakaleo means that you would call out, that you would call someone to something, that you would hold one another to a high place, that it wouldn't just be this, oh, just try harder next time, white knuckle it if you have to, pull your bootstraps up. No, no, no. You would ask questions and you would get to the root of the problem. It means to call out, to call someone to. And so he says, but exhort one another daily. So allowing other people who love Jesus to tell you that your heart wants what it wants, like your heart wants to pursue this thing, but it's not good for you. That you would have people in your life that would point you in the opposite direction. Because if you don't, then your heart will tell you what to pursue, pursue, period. And so he says, but exhort, speak into or call out one another daily. Like this would happen day after day after day while it is still today, while you still have time in other words. Like this would be the daily. It would be something that happens. And so here the God of, of, of the Bible, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, I don't want you to exist alone anymore. That there's people around you who are encouraging you, challenging you, sharpening you. This happened just this morning. I walked into the office. One of my buddies, my closest friends co comes in. And he says, hey, man, how'd the weekend go? I'm like, not good, bro. He's like, dude, it was Labor Day. You had a three-day weekend. How the heck was it not good? I'm like, dude, we got all these projects at the house. We're remodeling our house. And, boy, let me just tell you something, man. I lost my temper. I lost, I lost it, man. I lost my patience, and I, and I spoke to my wife in a really sinful way. And it wasn't right. It didn't come off as loving. And it's really tense right now at the home. Our house is, looks like a bomb was dropped in it. And let me just tell you, man, everything that could possibly happen during these projects happened. And then my air conditioner went out, bro. How do you think, I mean, and, and I just confessed that to him. And, and I just said, hey, man, I need, I need you to pray for me, but I need you to ask questions. I need you to get to the root of the matter because it's not just that I have an anger problem. It's that something's not right. My perspective is not right. And God began to show me. He just began to say, Josiah, you are getting so worked up over a house, man. When it's not even about the house. And plus, some people don't even have a house to live in. And you have a house that you can remodel. 
get over yourself. And in that moment, man, my perspective began to change. And I said, man, it's not even about the house. It's not even about these projects. It's about what God's trying to do in these projects. And if they end up being a living wreck, if they ended up not going the way I want, guess what? He's wanting to teach me something through it. And I just had that encouragement, encouragement pour over me that he was calling me to something greater. And so he says, exhort, speak out, call out one another daily. While it is called today, why? So that none of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Spiritual truth number three, if you're taking notes, instruct your heart that you need to have specific people in your life that would speak into your life for a very specific reason because sin undealt with has two negative side effects. The first is that it hardens your heart. Like it takes you to a place where your heart is unhardened. And this is why sin, undealt with sin, habitual sin, something that you're doing day in and day out or week in and week out, it becomes easier and easier to do. We know this, man. And second, sin dupes you into thinking that that guy or that girl is ultimate or that house or that project is ultimate when it's not. So we see this, man. Remember the first time, if you slept with that guy or girl? It happened to me my senior year in high school. I remember the first time I lost my virginity. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? I feel guilty. I feel shameful. I feel like, man, I will never do this again, God. And then I found myself doing it again. And then again, and then again. And before I knew it, I was like, man. I love this girl. We're going to get married. Of course it's okay. And before you know it, man, it, becomes, it just becomes so easy and you can find ways to justify it. And then you're like, man, does the Bible really say anything about sleeping with someone before marriage? I don't really think so. And before you know it, man, it becomes so easy because your heart becomes hardened to the things of God. Uh, just this last week, man, uh, man, a guy came up to me. He's like, man, Josiah, like, I just don't get this command to not sleep with my girlfriend before marriage. Like, why? I'm glad you asked, bro. Because God is trying to build into you this trust which is necessary for intimacy. If all you do, bro, is show this woman that you're going to give in to all of your lust or all of your passions while you're dating or engaged to this woman, then what makes her think? What's going to make her secure in marriage when someone else comes along, and they will, who you have an eye for, and your same passion begins to turn? What makes her think that you're going to be able to say no to that? She will be one insecure woman, always wondering, if you're doing the same thing that you did with her. And God is trying to build patience and self-control during this season. And so let me tell you something, bro. There's purpose. Hey, Paradigm, let me tell you something. There's purpose behind the waiting. God is trying to do something in that. That's why the first time you got drunk, man, you're like, man, that's a poor decision. I can't believe I did that. Like, I don't even remember anything, and I was hugging the toilet all night. I can't believe that. I will never do that again. And then all of a sudden, you did it again, and again, and then again, and then again, and then, again. And then you make excuses. You're like, well, at least I'm not driving. 
Like, I'm not hurting anybody. Of course not. Like, I'm not, man, I'm, I'm good. They're hard, they're hardening of hearts. Who's really watching? <laughs> Will anyone know? See, one thing that I hear in this passage is, is, is we're supposed to have people in our life that call us out from things that won't ultimately end well for us if we continue to pursue. And when I read that, when I, when I feel that, when I receive that, something in me starts to resist that. Like I don't want anybody speaking into my life and calling me out for things. Like that just doesn't feel good. Even this morning when I walked in the office and confessed that sin to my accountability, my brother who's also on staff here, I, like that just didn't feel good. Like he was kind of calling me out and I, I, something bowed up within me. But I know that if I don't receive that, then I will make excuses like I hear so often people say when they're getting called out for things. You're judging me, bro. Don't judge me, man. The Bible says something about judging. And for you, if that's you, let me say this with all sincerity and love. If you're a Christian, so if you're not claiming to follow Christ tonight, hey, man, free pass. But I still want you to lean in because this is for people that do claim to follow Christ. And so you can be able to discern who's following Christ and who's not. Let me take you to a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, because I hear this all the time from people that say, hey, don't judge me. And the Bible's very clear about this word judge. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you, this is the same person, the Apostle Paul, who's writing Hebrews. He's also writing 1 Corinthians. He said, hey, I wrote to you in my epistle, in my letter, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetousness or the extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, hey, let me stop right here. He's saying this. Hey, I'm not saying that you don't need to have company or friendships with people who are of the world, who aren't claiming to follow Christ, who practice all these sins. No, no, no. Man, befriend them, love them, engage with them, create in company with them. Not fully where it causes you to fall into the same thing that they're falling into, but you can embrace that person. Because here's what I see so often. Christians expect non-Christians to act like Christians. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? I remember my roommate from college saying, hey, you can't blame a lost person for being lost. That's what makes them lost, bro. True. Touche. Like that's their nature. That's the only nature that they have. They haven't been given the new nature in Christ. So why are we expecting? Paul's saying, hey, man, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't engage with these people. Because then you need to go out of the world. But he says in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. So these are people that are claiming to be Christians. But who are sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or drunkard or an extortioner. He says, not even share a meal with them. For what have I to do with judging those on the outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You know what he's saying, man? If you claim the name of Christ, guess what? Now we're family. 
And family speaks truth in each other's life all the time. And so if you want to take that as judging, you can take that as judging and use it as a justification not to be held accountable for the way you're walking out your faith. But I, and the Bible says, hey man, do not even see them as a brother or a Christian. I, I, I use it as a sports analogy, man. In sports, man, we would hold each other accountable all the time because if homie was, was going out and he was being a cancer for the team, guess what? I'm calling him out. And I would expect him to do the same for me. See, there's some cancers in the church that are making it worse off for the people that are really trying to walk out their faith. And you know what? An unbelieving world, they find that unbelievable that you could call yourself a Christian but live no different than the rest of the world. And Paul's calling it out and he's saying, hey, you have every right to call that person out. Speak into them. That's the title of this message. Speak into people with love and grace. Yeah, lead with grace. But don't turn a blind eye. We need that paradigm. We need that tonight. I need that. The chief of sinners up here. Me, I need that. And so so the solution according to God who loves you enough to give you a a remedy because he desires for you to experience life says there is one way to avoid and escape this for the rest of your life. It's to have people who are willing to call you out or speak into your life about those areas of your life that if you continue to dabble in, you continue to practice and exercise will not end well for you and me. So there's this reality that if you don't think you need it, then you have been deceived. And it will cost you at some point. And for the rest of your life, you and I are so broken that God says, man, we need people. We need people, man, to have deep relationships with. What is a deep relationship? A deep relationship is when I step into a group and they know me, man. They don't just know about me, that I like baseball and I played baseball and I like the Texas Rangers and now I'm starting to like the Royals a little bit because I live here. But they know me, man. They know when I lost my temper with my wife. They know when I clicked there. They know when I went there. They know when I said that. They know when I thought that. They know me. Why do they need to know me? So that they can hold me too. A place, a place that if I continue to pursue that place, it will end well for me. But if I don't continue to that, pursue that place that God says to pursue, man, it won't end well. This is why we spend so much time talking about community groups here, man. The single best thing that abundant life or paradigm has to offer is this idea of community. That there's people that want to gather, to be known with each other, to spur each other along, to exhort one another, to call each other into something greater than that thing that you continue to give your life to. And so we offer it, man, better than any Tuesday night, better than any Sunday morning. We offer a safe place where you can be known and to be known man feels great that I don't have to hide that I don't have to walk away with not saying that last little part of my life see there's one thing to sit in rows but there's another thing to sit in a circle with men or women who know you and so we offer it and we're going to make this super easy for you 
this Sunday at 6.30 in this auditorium, man. We're having this thing called Group Connect where you can come in with people that you know or maybe people that you don't know but you're just looking to run and to pursue Jesus with or maybe you don't even know about this Jesus and you're just looking to figure out, hey, man, I got some questions. I'd like to get some answers. And here is an incredible opportunity for you to do that this Sunday. Group Connect right here. It's going to be the best thing that you could ever do. And if you don't have it, man, then you're being deceived and sin is hardening your heart. And if that makes you angry, you probably need this message the most. I love how God provides just incredible illustrations. A few weeks back, there was a really good friend of mine in high school named Wes. And Wes is an incredible dude who loves Jesus, um, but he's also a guy in corporate, man. He is in banking, man. He is banking. Like, when I mean he's in banking, like, he is rolling in money, uh, you know, six figures. Like, the dude has it, man. And uh, Wes called me a few weeks ago, and he just said, hey, man, I got to tell you something that I haven't told anybody yet. But I plan on telling some other people but there was this uh, client of mine that I began to talk to, and this client was asking me to do some things that went against bank policy, and he was asking me to, to manage and misuse some information and change some numbers for him to get this deal passed. And Wes, uh, you know, obviously he uh, is, is, is struggling with the approval of man versus the approval of God. And so what Wes did in this moment is he gave in to the approval of man, and he misused some information, managed some information, changed some numbers, and he deceived his company, his employer. And he lived with that for many, many weeks and months and when he would lay his head down at night, like he couldn't shake it, like he was having restless nights, his relationship with his wife was really broken and his relationship with others was broken because he wasn't being known. He had this thing in his life that he hadn't told anybody about and he said, enough is enough, Josiah, I just gotta come clean. And he said, tomorrow when I walk into my office, I'm gonna go into my boss's office and I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him everything that I had done. And I know what he's going to tell me. He's going to say, Wes, I appreciate you coming to me and telling me the, the truth about this issue. But policy is, man, that you are terminated starting right now. So go pack your desk up and leave. And so he called me a couple days later and he said, hey, Josiah, I got it all out there on the table. I told him. sure enough, man, I lost my job. Everything that I had worked so hard for for many, many years came crumbling down because I allowed sin to deceive an area of my heart thinking that it wouldn't bother anyone or bother me. And I began talking to Wes and I said, hey, Wes, let's get down to the root of this thing, man. How have you been able to go through your entire life, get to a place where you're in a business deal with this client and you make this decision when no one in your life is beginning to ask you the hard questions, even previously as you were conning this idea of managing and misusing information and changing numbers? How have you been able to get into this place where you make this decision? He said, simple. I didn't have community, man. I didn't have people speaking into my life. I didn't have people asking me the hard questions. I just showed up and I wasn't really known and we kind of went through the motions and, you know, I would tell them I really uh, love Jesus and I might say that I, I, you know, 
was short with my wife here and, you know, didn't spend time with my kids, but I never really told them everything. And I always left this little area of my life out. And so it's simple. Josiah didn't have the community that you always talk about. And I said, Wes, go pursue it. I said, it's going to be hard. It's not going to happen overnight. Community is the most difficult thing that you'll ever do on this side of eternity because you're putting yourself out there to people that are also sinful that are probably going to let you down. But you know what? God is saying that you need it, and this is the remedy. This is the solution so that our hearts don't grow hard (laughs) and we're not deceived and duped into thinking that this is life, and if I stay in this lane on this path that there's going to be life there. And so I don't say this and use Wes as some message illustration. He's a brother to me. Be like one of our leaders coming forward and saying, oh, and by the way, I've been hiding some stuff for months. I say this because this is a true story of a guy, maybe just like you, who's on the brink or who was on the brink of his life imploding that did implode. And maybe your life is on the brink of imploding because you won't bring it to the surface because you have no real relationships. And you don't really have anyone that is going to call you out and speak into those areas of your life that are dark and nasty. And so this Sunday, man, Group Connect, we're asking for a three-week commitment. It's awesome. There's normal people just like you. It's not crazy where you have to learn some dance and a handshake. No, that's fraternities, right? (laughs) It's going to be people that are normal, people that are just trying to pursue Christ, people that are trying to get questions answered. And then we're going to show up in this place, and we're going to begin to unpack what this is going to look like as you get to know people. Same age, same part of the city, shared interest, and we will plug you into a community where you can begin to run with people, maybe for the rest of your life. And so I'll close with this. It's a question. Do you know the number one killer in America? It's not drugs. It's not AIDS or HIV. It's not murder. You know the number one killer in America? It's heart disease. And you know what is crazy about this, man? It's a preventable disease. Like if you eat well and exercise right, man, your heart can be healthy. It's not like cancer where a tumor just shows up out of nowhere and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And the statistics say that one in four people in this room will die because of heart disease. Can I tell you the number one killer in your faith? It's to walk around with undealt sin in your life, unchecked areas of your life that you are actually giving your life to. Never fully being known and not having a group of people that will come alongside of you and walk with you faithfully. Even if you fall 10 times, 20 times, 100 times, they're going to be there for you, calling you to greatness, calling you to something else. That is the number one killer of your faith, of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's people who are trying to do this thing alone or just call it community when all it is is a a meal at 54th Street, nothing against 54th Street, I might go there tonight, but 54th Street, 
and all you do is show up, eat a meal, maybe say a prayer or two, and then you leave. And so God's calling you to something greater. And what he's calling you tonight is community. Let me pray that you would. God in heaven.